Hello and welcome once again to Dave and Marlowe, a Blazers Edge podcast covering the Portland Trail Blazers and the NBA. I'm Dave Deckard here together with Marlowe Ferguson Jr. And we are now, as we speak, at uh, the point of having seen game three of the finals. You and I will not see game four, have not seen game four yet, I should say. Uh, this will air a day after. But Denver came back in Miami and had some amazing performances from Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and took the home court advantage back. Uh, quick questions to start with. First of all, what did you see from that game that's interesting? And do you think that home court is important? Uh, to answer your first question, I think that when you're, when you're building a dynamic duo, a one-two punch for the NBA, I think that's exactly what you want to see is what uh, Yusuf Nurkic and, I mean, not Yusuf Nurkic, Nicole Jokic. We can and, wish, right? <laughs> yeah, Nicole Jokic and, and Jamal Murray, the, the first guys ever to have 30-point triple-doubles in the same game, like, ever, in NBA history. So, um, that, that thing, when you're a front office, that's exactly what you want to see. Um, and then kind of what we talked about before with, with just the, the three-point variance, we talked about how, you know, Struess and those guys, they would get hot, but how could they do that over the course of a full series? And in game three, they kind of reverted back to what we've seen before. Shot 11 for 35. I think the free throw issue is still going to be an issue with the, the second unit. They didn't they didn't get a single free throw across was it nine or ten guys that played off the bench. So just some concerning factors that just continue to uh, surface for Miami. And I think that it's going to end up uh, being what cost them that season. I can see it going six games, but I think Denver's the better team, and they've they've kind of proven it. Well, I mean. Miami is uh, missing one of their main players in Tyler Hero, too, which would have helped. But I think you're right. I mean, I think the three-point shooting or the shooting in general is telling the story. And I think part of that is Denver's defense. But I think part of that is just this is Miami. It's like uh, you, you reach a point where you're at the end of the marathon and you need that last burst of energy or whatever it is that Miami's had. Uh, they're getting it less consistently now than they were earlier. In fact, if you go back to that Boston series, they lost three games before they won game seven. And it, it might have been like two or three weeks by now since Miami has really played uh, what you'd call dominant basketball, uh, at least for an extended period of time. So you may be seeing the engine sputtering out here which is kind of sad because i think if they had one more player and a little more shooting that this could be epic but right now it looks like denver is is taking the lead or taking the edge i don't know i think they miami still has a chance but uh, you're gonna have they're gonna have to shoot real real well to bail themselves out of this what ends up being a de facto slump at the end of the season yeah, it's, it's almost as if they're driving and they're just going through the yellows. You know, they're, they're not necessarily at a full go. Um, and it's, it's tough to do that against a team like Denver. Um, and, and for me, I, I think it's hard for a Tiger to kind of change his stripes in the middle of a final series. You know, they, they've kind of built an identity on what they like to do. Um, and Denver is the kind of team that they can, if they're on their game, they're playing aggressively, which was the problem in game two. They play aggressively and they, they close the games out. You know, I don't think that Miami has enough uh, of, a, of a counter with as great as Eric Spolster is, I don't know if they have a counter to deal with everything that Denver can throw at them. You know, there's not a single other player that can guard Nikola Jokic. Um, and I thought in game two, after what uh, Jimmy Butler's defense did against uh, Jamal Murray, I thought that maybe they had something there. But, you know, even that wasn't sustainable for, a, you know, a two-game stretch. So that's tough, too. Um, and I think that uh, having veterans is key, too. As, as you saw with Jeff Green at the end of that game, he was letting them know they finish it out. Don't get complacent now. Don't get comfortable now. Um, and just having guys like that, everybody knows their role from the stars to the, to the bottom of the bench, Christian Brown, guys like that. Like you can just, you can't say enough about Denver at this point. And there's a reason why they're two games away from a championship now. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to overcome. I mean, look, you don't expect, you know, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent to save your final series, but it's hard to ignore two for 10 from Vincent and one for seven shooting from Struess. Uh, it's that's that's already a deficit and then you got Adebayo shooting seven for 21 and that's your center okay that's the guy who should be hitting 50 percent minimum there's there's you know you're, you're not gonna get over that wall but even if they shot slightly better and I think this is where it's indicative for for Portland that you again you have to be careful 
because if you want a championship, you can't just win a playoff series. You have to be able to win every playoff series you actually get, which means being able to at least forecast winning the foreseeable ones, any of them. And you're looking at Adebayo, who's an incredible defensive center, and one of the players that if the Blazers got him, you'd think that would be a fantastic get, right? But even if you got him now, okay, you're running up against Denver uh, in years to come. Are you running up against San Antonio with a dominant center? Uh, Los Angeles Lakers, if they stay together. There are some big centers in the West here, and there are enough of them where you can't go, well, I'm going to dodge all of them in the playoffs. Nobody's guarding Jokic, period, like you said. But Adebayo can't do anything with him at this point that's going to make a difference. Porting that to your team is not going to change that particular story. It's going to make you better overall. But if you hit Denver, you're going to run into this kind of problem too. And all your machinations are going to go for naught. It's just a matter of when you're going to get out of the playoffs, not if. The Blazers saw this, of course, back in the day when they lost uh, to, uh, I think it was, yeah, they, they lost to the Lakers, right? And then they got Dale Davis to fix their Shaq problem. And Dale Davis did not fix their Shaq problem. In fact, uh, it, it actually made it worse. So, like, you can go in, and, and Davis, by the way, was an all-star, all-defensive player, all those things, right? But he was not stopping Shaq. And the Blazers could end up doing part two by getting, you know, an undersized center who's defensive and whatever, and, and still not end up going all the way. So anyway, uh, that's a long-winded way of saying there's a cautionary tale in this. And to your point, I I, I kind of remember them getting Sean Kemp too and saying that he would be his size would be to match up with Shaq too in the post, and, and I don't recall that working out either. Uh, but it's just I think that's just kind of how it goes when you're dealing with a, a generational talent. You know, and a guy like Nikola Jokic, you can try to get close, and I think Bam historically he's played really well against Nikola Jokic, but when you put very good against great, you know, it it doesn't really tend to work out in your favor in that way. Um, and with Bam, I, I look at his his shot attempts. Game one, I think most people would say he played a, a great game, all things considered. But I think Denver would even live with that. You know, he, he scored 26 points, but it took him 25 shots to get it. So, you know, they'll gladly trade off that with, with three-pointers and, and getting to the line, as Miami didn't do. So um, just thinking about it like that, you know, it, it's going to be – it's a situation that we saw with with, with Michael Jordan and, and LeBron James, guys like that, where teams are going out trying to get guys that are have the so-called you know, archetype and the characteristics to stop them. And if it doesn't happen, you know, you just you just spend some money on hope. And Portland's they've done they've done that before. They spent money on hope. We've seen them go out and and spend lavishly on on swing men, swing men and defensive stoppers that didn't save the day. They didn't they didn't change the defensive culture. So I think it's it's nothing new for the NBA. And and you know you're just fortunate to see that other team have to deal with it this time instead of Portland. So well, and the the scary thing about Denver is that they shot they only took what 18 three pointers in that game three. And they only hit five of them. They shot under 30% from distance, which is, you think, would be anathema in today's NBA. But they're so dang efficient that it's like the engine's going to run no matter what. And if, if one of the tires is slightly flat, they just keep going. And the thing is, you have to keep up with them at all times. You, you, if your engine stops, they're already gone. And I thought, you know... Uh, rebounding too i mean another uh, evidence that, that they're gonna they're actually a very uh, aaron gordon and Jokic, scary scary tandem and remember back in the day like we were talking i don't i'm not sure you were here yet but we were talking about how good of a get aaron gordon would be for portland because he brings some size and some athleticism and the blazers didn't get him denver did and everybody's going that's a good get and then well it's so so and now you're really seeing it I'm not sure that you can go undersized the way Miami is and the way really Portland is. Uh, if you lose that rebounding battle, it, it's it's a the stat has been denigrated a little bit like, oh, anybody can rebound. Yeah, anybody can rebound until you don't. And then when you can't rebound, you see how important that was. It's just that everybody had the baseline, so it looked neutral. But as soon as you go super small and you start giving up the, the, the battle of the, of the rebounds, you lose tempo, you lose extra shots and, and rhythm, 
And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what the other team is doing. Everything they do gives them the edge. Yeah, and it, it kind of reminds me of a lot of away, a lot of Portland games went this year where they ran zone defense and, and they weren't disciplined enough to get back and rebound and whatnot. So that's something to think about there. But um, I'm 100% with you on Aaron Gordon. I always think back to that that postseason series that Denver and Portland had a few years ago where they, they put him on Lillard and he was able to stop him as well as anybody else could. So I think he's definitely staking his claim as, as one of the league's most underrated players, if not the most. And I'll tell you another thing that kind of scares me about it. Um, before game three, Michael Porter Jr. was was talking to the media. And he was saying, like, I'm not going to continue to miss three-pointers at the rate that I did. And <laughs> sure enough, in game three, he actually did miss those three-pointers again. But he's a, tick, he's a ticking time bomb. It's only a matter of time before he gets going. Um, and when you have a team with this much talent, you know, you, you may be able to stop Murray on a certain night. But being able to stop Porter, uh, Michael Porter and, and different guys like that, it's going to be tough, too. So it's just so many different weapons this team can bring to you. And having a, a, a star player, two star players that are willing to get those guys the ball, I think it's going to be uh, doubly important for, for Miami to try to figure out how to stop that. But if there's a way to do it, you know, consistently, I'm not sure that they they found a way to do that just yet. Right. Well, I mean, we'll we'll hope that they start hitting threes. I'll stick with my pick of Miami because I, like I said, I made it before the uh, conference finals, so uh, it's not looking very good right now. But hey, you know, Denver's great. Uh, let's let's move to uh, Portland. Well, actually, let's move to Phoenix. Apparently, Phoenix is going to waive Chris Paul, and that's an interesting move, uh, no doubt occasioned by their midseason pickup of Kevin Durant. And now, all of a sudden, they got a little too much going on at the small positions. Uh, they're not going to save any money. They're going to bail him out. But I mean, Paul is uh, has been injured uh, off and on, but still a valuable player. Uh, talk a little bit about the raf- rationale between behind letting him go, but also how tempting of a free agent now is Chris Paul available at a veteran minimum contract for a team next year? Um, I think it's, it's definitely tempting. I'm not sure that it's tempting for the, the Portland Trailblazers. I don't know that he has a, a, a fit there, um, but he's, he can still play. You know, he's, he's what, 37 years old. Um, he, he came along. You know, at different points of the season, but the injury history is just a little bit too much to, to kind of to kind of think about. And I think um, just overall, it's it's really tough to see the fall from grace for, for for Phoenix. You know, you wouldn't have anticipated this being the case. You know, a few weeks ago when they acquired Kevin Durant, you maybe thought they were going to have a, a two to three championship, two to three year championship window with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and those guys. And I would just say this: I think the move has uh, Los Angeles Lakers written all over it. I think that there's a, a, a real possibility that he goes there. Um, and, and chases the championship there. And I, I don't really see too many other options that fit his timeline, being his age and, and trying to win that championship and, and playing with guys that with Chris Popper, you have to have a slow paced team, pick and roll heavy team. So I think a situation like that is going to benefit him where he can kind of pick his own spot and, and see what he can do there. I mean, Lakers, Clippers, Heat would be the three that I would say would be strong possibilities, maybe in that order. Although I think, you know, going back to the Clippers might be an attractive possibility for him too, somewhere in LA. I mean, he shot 44% from the field, which is low for him, but decent for a guard. Uh, 37, almost 38% from the three-point arc. He's he's absolutely got juice left, which is, by the way, incredible when you think of how long he's played and at what level he's played to be 37 years old and still doing this is pretty amazing. I'm a little bit shocked that the Suns would just wave him, would just get rid of him. I, I wonder what the story is. I mean, because you're going to pay him anyway. You have to buy him out. If you're paying the money anyway, why would you not want the player? But uh, I think that's going to be a huge bonus for... And and and, and by the way, it's going to be... There's a reason. It's not just these teams, but... Look, uh, all three of them kind of sandbag the regular season, which Paul needs to do, right? He needs to take time off. Uh, the Clippers are the kings of load management. Uh, but you also have the Lakers and uh, the Heat. You know, Jimmy Butler didn't even show up for <laughs> half the season. Uh, nobody's going to blink an eye at that. They're going to say, as long as you can go in the postseason, let's do it. And I think he's going to fit like a glove one of those places. Yeah, I think it does a player that... that- I won't say deserves low management, but should absolutely 100% be 
have had his man his load, I think it's Chris Paul. You know, we've seen him break down uh, with his hamstring and thighs and leg injuries and things like that. Every single, it was like every single postseason. Um, and, and according to Chris Haynes, you know, he, he tends to play multiple different years. So if he's giving you three or four more years in the NBA and, and still trying to win a championship, I think whoever takes him on has to be really smart about how they do it. You know, historically, Phoenix, even last year, they played him over 30 minutes a game. He was in the, and he played some heavy minutes. So I think whoever, whatever team takes him on, I think you play him 25 minutes, try to ease him in and, and then maybe ramp it up later toward the end of the season where you can get him ready for the postseason. But, um, it's tough. It's tough because he's a, he's a player that I think even without being a fan of his, you, you want to see him get at least one chance to be healthy down the stretch, uh, this toward the end of his career and maybe win a championship. But, I don't know. I don't know. I think, yeah, the Lakers and Clippers would be the two teams that would be the most fun. I think it'd be a lot of fun to see him and in, in, in with the Clippers again and, and Harden with the Rockets and just kind of going old school with this. So. Yeah. I mean, and that as some people have asked about Portland, I think, as you said, there's no fit there. But also, why would he come to Portland? I mean, why that? I, I'm not saying Paul's big timing Portland. It's just like there's no room in the guard rotation and the Blazers aren't close to contending. So why would you want to, if you could sign a veteran minimum contract anywhere except Phoenix, why would you choose Portland? It's not, it doesn't make any sense. So uh, there, there are teams with holes uh, at the point guard spot where he would be beloved. And, uh, you know, he loved L.A. That's where he wanted to engineer a trade to in the first place. So Lakers first and Clippers were your second choice. So I don't think that that's changed. Uh, that'll be interesting. Do you, uh, now, do you see Paul making a difference for one of those two teams? I mean, they, the Lakers underperformed during the regular season, but got to the conference finals. The Clippers just underperformed throughout. Do you think Paul could make the difference between them where they are and making a leap towards a, a ring? Oh, absolutely. Um, I just I think back to the Western Conference Finals and the Lakers starting point guard, D'Angelo Russell, they essentially played him off the court. You know, he just didn't have the, the defensive IQ and the smarts in order to stay on the court. And, and Jamal Murray and those guys, they executed and, and took him out. And I think to, to, to boot, you sort of seen him kind of pressing on offense where he was was taking more shots than normal and, and, and not really, you know, being smart about it. So I think if you get a chance to get Chris Paul in that, in that mix, I think it definitely makes all the difference. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be the guy that takes him over the top. But if you're going into a series against Denver, I think you'd much rather have a, a veteran Austin kind of a point guard that can still turn it on for a night and, and have a vintage performance. You know, we're not necessarily too far removed from his incredible 2021 finals run. So I think he's, he's definitely still got some juice. I'm kind of interested to see what it means for uh, DeAndre Aiden and whatnot. But as far as Chris Paul goes, I, I think, yeah, I think he definitely made a huge difference to either one of those teams, especially given the injury history and, and the inconsistency that they have at the point guard position. Yeah, I wonder if this bodes well for Phoenix keeping Aiton just because, you know, that's a that's a large talent dump. I mean, you got rid of your coach, sight unseen, basically. Uh, and then you wave Paul, and if you trade away Aiton for anything less than immediate veteran help, and remember, you know, when we talked about the Blazers, we were like, well, maybe number three and, you know, Nurkic or whatever would do it, but you assumed that the lineup was still star-studded, right? But now they've just got Booker and Durant, and that's it. So, I mean, I, obviously I shouldn't say that's it. That's a, a hell of a duo. But you know what I mean. I, it feels like they're going to keep that third young, talented player there at this point. Uh, because otherwise, boy, their bench was already kind of shaky. And now their starting lineup, if they lose Aiton, would be just as shaky. Yeah, I think they're they're very much so on the verge of being a, a, a cautionary tale for you know younger franchises because if you look at it now, they've basically given away four first round picks, four unprotected first round picks. Um, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, all of that. You just got rid of a 60 win head coach, traded for a, a aging 34, 35 year old superstar in, in Kevin Durant, and basically you mortgage your entire depth just for those two now. So I mean, if, if it doesn't work out. You're looking at a really, really big situation in which you've gone from a, a pretty promising young young team to an aging team that, you know, maybe it's running out of answers. You know, I don't want to I don't want to uh, diminish what they've done. I think they still got a chance to be a championship team next year, which is the case when you when you have two all star caliber players like that. But just thinking about how much they've lost and how much their their scenery has changed in just a matter of a matter of, of weeks, it's kind of concerning. You know, I, I I I'm definitely I've definitely got my eyes on that situation because I thought that they were going to be the NBA champion this season. So. It'd be fun to see how that plays out. Yep. 
All right. Well, moving to the Trailblazers then. I mean, the big fracas this week was... Okay, so Damian Lillard goes on Showtime Sports, and they ask ask him, hey, uh, if you were to be traded, and we should preface this, and we did on site by saying, they ask him if he expects to be in Portland at the start of the season, and he said yes. Okay, so that hasn't changed. But they said, if you were to be traded, what would be some of your favorite destinations? And he said, well, Miami, obviously, and Brooklyn uh, has a quality roster as well. Which then, of course, started a firestorm that C.J. McCollum added to. He was asked on ESPN about this interview, and McCollum suggested that not only would those be good destinations, but the Blazers were really at an inflection point and needed to decide what to do, and that the Damian Lillard trade talk is more real right now than it has been at any time in the past, even though this is like the fourth time that it's come up. And... Then, of course, Yusuf Nurkic goes on Twitter and says, well, the Blazers basically better come through this summer or we're all getting traded. So there is a little, obviously, you're in a little bit of a gap between the draft lottery and the actual draft where there's an echo chamber for these things to resonate. But this is still a lot of uh, fire stoking around this. I mean, did any of it strike you? What do, what do you make of this? Uh, I, I, I'm taking it with the utmost respect. You know, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. You know, I can sit here and talk about, you know, what I think is going to happen with the Blazers. But when you have players that have played in that culture, in that environment, and know the front office, and they're saying this and they're putting the pressure on the front office that way, I think it definitely means something. Um, and I think back to Lillard's uh, back and forth with, that he had with, with Brian Custer during that interview. He brought up Miami on, on two different occasions. So I think it's definitely something that's on his mind when they asked him about what, what the, the hypothetical teams. And then he talked about the veterans that he wished that Portland had. And he talked about guys like Dennis Haslam and how Miami does it with their culture. So I think it, it, it's, it's something to definitely, uh, definitely be looking at. And as CJ McCollum said, you know, they, they've definitely got the, the pieces in place now to where they can even move on and give them a fresh start or, you know, try to run it back and, and, and ask some players. But as we've talked about many times on this podcast, you know, it, it's kind of, kind of hard to imagine what they're going to be able to get, you know, the Seattle come Brown, those guys continue to come up. Um, but, you know, nothing's really happened just yet. So I think, it, it, I don't know. They're just saying they need to come through. What is, what is coming through? What does that mean? What is like, how do you define that? So I think I, I, I take it with the yeah, most respect. And I think it's, it's something that can definitely happen, but you know, until it happens and I'm, I'm kind of just waiting to see it. Yeah, I mean, Miami's problem, of course, would be what would they trade for? I mean, it'd have to be Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero. That's that's the salary matchup, which makes Portland go, yeah. Uh, and then I imagine there'd have to be a Phoenix-like level of draft picks coming back. Uh, probably not the entire barrage that went for Kevin Durant, but there better be at least a couple unprotected picks coming later for that. Uh, you know, that, that would be a grim situation for Portland. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, I don't foresee Miami having the ability to, to make the Blazers, uh, bite on that, but I guess you never know. Uh, and, and by the way, I, I guess there's a shade to this that we haven't talked about. I think Damian Lillard can force a trade, but I don't think Damian Lillard can force the trade. In other words, Clyde Drexler had one destination even chris paul had one or two destinations back in the day when he was forcing trades damian lillard's under contract long term i don't think that he can force a trade to a, a specific team if the return isn't right for the blazers because a they want to keep him and b they can't afford to lose him for anything that's not going to have a chance to reinvigorate their franchise significantly and yes, they have loyalty to Dame and they'll want to make sure he goes to a place where he's wanted and he's happy. But that only goes so far, especially when the guy you have loyalty to is the one forcing a trade away from you. I don't see the Dame being able to strong them, strong arm them into Lowry and Hero and a future protected pick just because I want to go to Miami. Yeah, and I, 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 it's tough to say. You know, I think he's, he's made it a little bit more difficult with him being as public as he's been about it and kind of uh, messing up a little bit of Portland's leverage with it. I think he's already kind of said he wouldn't go to go to Boston. So, you know, it, it kind of leaves him on a short list of teams where if he's trying to win a championship, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. And if Miami is his ideal fit, you know, as you said, do they have enough? You know, I've, I've seen some, some hypothetical trades where they've had um, 
you know, Harrow and, and Kayla Martin and, and a bunch of draft picks and whatnot, things like that. But I don't think that necessarily moves the needle, you know, and, and you know, if Brooklyn's the team that he's, he's thinking about going to, we've seen the Makai Bridges, um, those things come back up too. I don't know. I, I, I think he's going to have to kind of open that list up a little bit more because maybe there's not a perfect team at the top, you know, especially with Miami and whatnot. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I think that there's something they can, that both sides can do. Uh, but I think one side's going to end up losing a little bit more than they, they maybe expected to in, in the process. Now, Brooklyn has more players under contract that they can mess with. I mean, they have Ben Simmons, they have Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, even Dorian Finney-Smith could factor in there. And the Blazers might even want Nick, Nick Claxton. The thing is that none of those players move the needle enough, and some are detriments thrown in just because of their huge salaries. But the problem is that Brooklyn's future draft picks aren't going to be as good because they're a younger team, right? So it's like if you get an unprotected, unprotected Miami pick five years down the road, you're going, well, that generation's going to be gone. This could be pretty good. Unprotected Brooklyn pick down the road, you're going, well, you know, Bridges is still going to be there. Outside chance Lillard could be there. Claxton will still be there if he's not traded. Uh, the, the, you're probably looking mid-first round. You're not excited by that. So it's almost like the two teams have uh, inverse problems there. Yeah, and I, I think about something else Lillard said where he was basically saying that, hey, I'm, I'm 32 years old. I'm still basically in the prime of my career. Like, he, he he's basically saying that, like, everybody else is saying that he's too old to do what he's doing. So I think you just kind of hope that the other franchises will see, will hear that and, and maybe think about it this way, you know, because that's been the, the big thing is for Portland, you know, can you get the most out of what you can get out of a, a so-called aging superstar? Um, and on the other side, other teams are going to be hesitant about that too. So, you know, I think that's something to think about too with, with just the age factor and how that goes and, and, and whatnot. But I think there's, I think there's a situation out there. I don't know that Brooklyn is the one, uh, just because of what they had to give up in order to, to, uh, bring on Macau Bridges and then having all those draft picks and whatnot. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of what other teams would be on the board. I think it's a really, really, sh- really short list of teams that can contend right away that Lillard would want to go to. So I don't know. I think the more realistic situation is he maybe either pulling the Miami out of those two. It's just, I don't know. Yep. I mean, and either way, it's all about the future compensation. I think that you're just, you're not going to replace Lillard in the immediate. So, and especially like, okay, now you got to take Ben Simmons coming back. I mean, paired with Lillard, you might find a role for Simmons put, put among this young team as like, oh my gosh, the team doesn't have an identity anyway. They're finding their way. And now you get the guy whose identity has Jekyll and Hyde so much over the last three years, but he became a poster child for CBA negotiations about what you don't want players doing to you. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot going on there. Uh, I don't, I, gosh. If this is the problem with where Portland is. I don't I don't see a clear path to a happy resolution with Damien staying. I'm not sure there's a clear path to a happy resolution with Damien going either, but we can fall back on what we said before. There's always a trade available for a player of Lillard's caliber that the league is not going to shrug and let him go. Somebody is going to make an offer that looks pretty good. It's just hard to see what that's going to be. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think every single offseason you have GMs and, and, and front offices that are on the hot seat and need to find some way to make a big move to, you know, at least give off the impression in the summer and get some of that optimism that, you know, you're, you're chasing the championship. So as long as teams are under pressure, I think there's always going to be someone that, that, that takes a bite at it. Um, So we'll see. Maybe the Lakers find some way to do it. They they have, you know, uh, limitless cap space, as they would say. So they, they always kind of find a way to do what they do. Maybe they take a shot at it. No, we'll see. Yeah. It's hard to say right now. I guess if they can't get Chris Paul, I mean, yeah. that would be, I mean, Lillard on the Lakers would be really interesting with LeBron and Davis sitting there. I don't see how they do it, but that's, and also, uh, they've given up a lot of picks, so they don't, you know, obviously every year that goes by, though, another future pick comes available. So I don't know. We'll see. So uh, today, as we speak too, John Hollinger comes out and says, the Blazers should not re-sign Jeremy Grant, uh, that they should let him go on the free agent market. Uh, do you see any sense in that? 
Um, not not really. Based on what we've talked about before, you know, like what would the incentive be? Basically, if you if you do that, you basically let him walk for nothing. So I I, I think I, I kind of feel like you kind of have to bring him back um, and take a chance on that. And he's still a he's still a good player. You know, you're not probably going to find anything better than him on that free agent market for you know the, for what you're trying to do right now. So I think you I think you take a chance on it. Uh, I think you maybe said it a week or two ago, or somebody said it where they were, were basically saying that you know you might have to pay him a little bit more, but I think, I, I think you bring him back. I think you bring him back. If they don't bring him back, Dame's gone, right? Like, you, you cannot go, all right, well, we're going to get somebody, uh, but we're going to trade away players to do it, so we're going to lose depth, and, and now we're going to lose Jeremy Grant as well. That's not ser- That would be a very unserious move, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a move that you make on your, your first day on the job right there. I, I can't really see a situation in which that plays out like that. Uh, but I, I'm with you. If, if it happens like that, I, I can't see a situation in which Dame Lillard keeps faith in this in this franchise, and it sends a message that they're they're trying to win later, which is you know the exact opposite of what he's trying to do now. So I'm full on with that. Yeah, because that would leave literally Lillard and Nurkic as the only players above like 25 on the team. I mean Thibel, but it's like he he's down there though. Uh, that, that they've already got three exactly three players that aren't babies it's like you lose one of them for nothing that that would be telegraphing that you are rebuilding at this point yeah i mean it, honestly it wouldn't be any different from what they kind of did at the trade deadline where they brought on more young players and then decided to just worry about the con- contracts later but i don't know i don't i don't agree with the idea of letting him walk for nothing i think he called it uh was it that that crazy or something like that, whatever it was that he said. But I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy to bring him back. Well, I, yeah, it would be it would be crazy to to not bring him back. I mean, you're you're losing the trade ship too. I I don't see how Hollinger misses this unless they th- he thinks he's going to be so overpaid that he cannot be traded. But I don't that I mean that contract's going to expire at some point. Even at the end of it, you're going to be able to move it. Because someone will want a 32-year-old Jeremy Grant. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't understand any rationale other than we quit for, for not bringing Grant back. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because the Blazers, it's not just that they're in no man's land and they're stuck in this limbo before the draft. It's, it's that literally their wheels are up halfway in the muck and every time you try to gun them it's just throwing more mud and boy i hope joe cronin can get some cat litter or two by four or something underneath there to get some traction out of that because right now it's this conflicting reports from analysts and conflicting questions to dame and half the league is saying well they're going to build around dame and half the league is saying dame's gone and uh, nobody knows what's going on with them it, it's less about the Blazers than the situation that they're in. And they've gotten themselves into such, I don't want to say uncharted territory, but such confusing territory that very few people can can find the the next step even, let alone the long-distance plan. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I mean, even for us, like we, we, we talk about this team every week. You know, we, we analyze them and, and, and whatnot, but... Even for us, you know, it's kind of hard to see what's going on next because they, they haven't really made a, a clear-cut decision on what they want to do. Do you want to win now? Do you want to win later? They, they've kind of made, you know, small small moves to try to, try to stay, stay in the same spot. But there's nothing that lets you know either way it goes that they're trying to either chase championship now and, 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 and bulk up their roster for that or if they want to just go young and, and start over. I think we'll know a little bit more when the draft comes um, and, and, and seeing what happens with that number three pick and whatnot. But for now, you know, you just we're, everybody's kind of biding their time. I think including the front office, and nobody really knows what's going on yet. But maybe something happens. Maybe something changes. You know, in between then, but I don't know. It's, it's hard to say right now. I'm just kind of observing it. Yeah, I mean, we can tell you at least I can tell you what they should do. They should rebuild at this point, right? I mean, the steps to to building around Dame, unless unless such an obvious deal comes that you cannot refuse it. That that. The incremental step is not going to work, probably. 
Uh, the only one that would tempt me that we've talked about is that Turner for six and a Thompson brother uh, for the for the number three pick and like Nurkic. Uh, okay, I I would do that. I would consider that an uh, an incremental upgrade, but that's like one possibility among a hundred. I don't see I don't see this revolution that gets Dame a ring here. I see Dame having value. I think you know the the obvious choice is that they will or should rebuild. The only bar to that, the only reason everybody's not saying that is that the front office is swearing up and down that that's not what they want to do. Yeah, I, I think you could be on to something there. I think it's something to think about because you know every every year since that, at least since that Western Conference Finals run, you know we've we've come into the offseason and told ourselves, okay, we need one one or two more pieces and we're there. When Nervous went down and, and and Whiteside came along, okay, we've got some we got some depth there. Uh, we brought in Covington and, and Derek Jones Jr. And, and guys like that. Okay, we've got the perimeter defenders. So every year we kind of talk ourselves into this being, you know, a big potential year. And every year it kind of works out the same. It's either a first round exit or a, a disappointing season in which you don't even make it to April where you're competing. So I don't know. I, mean, I think at some point maybe you get tired of talking yourself into having those rose colored glasses on and, and thinking that this is the year and it not being the year at all. And maybe you just try something different, you know, where you, you expect to lose right away and, and, and kind of build on that in the future. So. I can see both sides of it, both, both perspectives of it. It's interesting to think about, though. Well, not even Damian Lillard, and this is where we can circle back to where we we jumped off here. Not even Damian Lillard is buying this anymore, right? I mean, the Blazers are on a clock with him. C.J. McCollum isn't buying it, based on his comments. And uh, Yusuf Nurkic isn't buying it either. So, like, the the players are starting to get to this point. And one of them has a lot of control over his own destiny in Lillard and will be able to tell you that he wants out, and his is the only decision that matters. So, I, you know, I don't... Everybody hears, the, well, Dame saying, well, I want to stay in Portland, I expect to stay in Portland. Okay, I, I hear that, but what I hear just as loud is, the Blazers have promised me that they're going to do something, and I need them to do something. And if that something isn't done, I don't think that I expect to stay in Portland is going to hold up. That one of those is based, one of those is a desire, the other is a demonstrated reality. And the demonstrated reality part is what the Blazers have to show. If that isn't shown, the desire will not sustain. Yeah, it does seem as if they've lost their biggest supporter in all this. And Damian Lillard, you know, his, his messages and his candid interviews have gotten a lot more. I'm more a lot more frequent and a lot more transparent in terms of what he's kind of expecting and what he wants to see. You know, two or three years ago, you you wouldn't anticipate him coming into an extra interview and, and basically saying he's not interested in, in, in you know rebuilding or whatnot. You know, it was it was always for the franchise. So I think now it's like 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 McCollum and Nurkic and those guys have said. I think if there's a year to do it. I think this is the one. You know, I think both sides kind of deserve a, a fresh start. And I don't think that we can look back on this as a failure per se because it was an an incredible run of, of 11 years of, of fun basketball to watch, deep playoff runs, big shots, great highlights, and things like that. Uh, but even the fan base, I get the feeling that they want something new too, you know, not necessarily in trading Lillard for just anything, uh, but seeing him get a fresh start. And, and I think he deserves to play in May. He deserves to play in May and June and things like that just because of the player that he is. And Portland can't be the one that gives it to him. So going somewhere else might be the, the best situation for both both parties. Well, you wouldn't have heard him name other teams either. Look at Jalen yeah. Brown. You know, Jalen Brown is rumored to be somewhat discontented in uh, Boston. And granted, he has money on the line, so he has to be a little bit more circumspect. But when asked about all of that, Brown said, you know, I'm just really not going to talk about that right now. Uh, we're going to see what happens this summer. And, and that's the most discontented non-answer. The, the normal non-answer is, I'm with my team right now, and that's where I foresee myself being. And next question. Those options are still available. Dame isn't taking them anymore. He's naming teams, right? <laughs> so, like, there has been movement in this discussion already. Yeah, I, it's we can... The, the Blazers now have a little bit more urgency, I think, in that they don't just have to... Uh, move from neutral they have to stop the momentum that is happening right now and turn it around the other direction and that puts even more burden on whatever they do next now uh another thing that came up this week possibility okay let's say 
that Charlotte goes with Brandon Miller, uh, number two, which means Scoot Henderson, who was the consensus number two pick six months ago coming into this draft. I mean, he was the guy. And in fact, for a nanosecond, before they actually showed up on the court against each other, Henderson versus Wemby was a debate. Okay. It's not anymore, but that's how highly Henderson was regarded. Possibility of him slipping to number three. If the Blazers were to select him number three and keep him, the question is, could he and Damian Lillard find a way to play together? What do you think? Um, I, I think they could. You know, professionals, they, they kind of have to do that. It's something they have to do. I don't think that it would last a, a very long time. Um, just because of like we talked about with, with Lillard saying he wants to, to wants to win now. And that's a, a situation where you kind of got to develop a guard and then let him get some time to, to get going. And it's just better to kind of start fresh with, I guess, him and Sharp and guys like that. But if they were to play together, I think they'd be a, a very similar to what we've seen production-wise from Lillard and Simons, where they'd be, you know, a dynamic offensive grouping where they combine for 50 or so points every single night and then have highlights and, and, and Twitter mentions every single night when they play. I think it'd be fun, but I worry about what, what defensively what that would look like. Um, perhaps even more so just because of the fact that, you know, Henderson's six foot two. And no matter how hard you play at that size, you know, you, you're going to get picked on. They're going to target you in the pick and roll and, and things like that. And Lillard's the same way. So I worry about that defensively. It doesn't do anything as far as, you know, what, what the front office has said about, you know, getting getting you know, more athletic, more defensive, or not more athletic, but more defensive, defensive minded um, and things like that. So I worry about that. Um, I think it, it'd be it'd be fun. But we've seen what fun looks like. We've watched that for years and years and years, and it just hasn't translated to wins. So I don't think it, it translates to any more wins than we've seen already. Well, even on offense, can Scoot shoot? I mean, if he can't hit a three-pointer consistently, he can't play off ball, right? Because his forte is with the ball in his hands, make incredible moves, pull up jumper, get to the rack, that kind of thing, right? Now, there is some room. C.J. McCollum did some of that, but C.J. McCollum was also one of the most phenomenal mid-range players of his generation when he was with the Blazers. I mean, he was that was literally his game. Uh, Scoot playing off-ball with the ball in Lillard's hands seems like a recipe for a bunch of missed three-pointers, which is going to, A, take away from what Scoot does best, B, inhibit his growth and effectiveness with the team, which is the opposite of what you want to do with your shiny new lottery pick, right? So the only way I see that working is if Scoot actually takes over point guard roles and Dame plays more off ball, not entirely, but the balance would shift that way. But then how long is Dame going to put up with that, especially if the team's not winning? He's going to take over, yeah? So like you have this weird kind of Two guys trying to get through the same doorway going opposite directions. Both go left, both go right, both go left. And you try to figure out how to walk through the stupid doorway and you you can't quite manage it. Yeah, basically just the way you said it, I think it'd be a recipe for disaster because I don't think that, you know, for as many points as they would score, they would probably give up as many of those points right back. And then on top of that, you know, I think Luger had a, a fantastic season as an off-ball player last year. Uh, but in the four quarters of games, you know where that ball's going. It's going to be in Damian Lillard's hands. Um, and, and he's going to be out there making the big shots for him. So if you got Henderson out there and, and teams are able to kind of shade off of him and, and double Lillard and, and force the ball out, it could be problematic. So I don't think that it would be a, a long-lasting pairing. I think if you do get Henderson, if you do get that number three pick, I think it's just a thousand percent time smarter to just go ahead and deal Lillard and and go with with Henderson and, and Sharp and Simons and see what you get there and, and live with that, as opposed to trying to usher in an age with new and old at the same time and. and kind of conflicting their, their different strengths and whatnot. So I think it just makes sense. It'd be fun to watch, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be productive from a team aspect, I don't think. And then what? You put Shaden Sharp at small forward if you keep Lillard and, and Scoot. And then, I mean, Shaden Sharp has the potential to become a good defender, but he can't defend yet. I mean, he's just yeah. not, he hasn't gotten enough reps. So now you have defensive problems at shooting guard because of size and at small forward because of size and experience. And your best defender in the in the smaller three positions is probably Damian Lillard himself. Uh, yeah, that's okay. That's that's crazy talk at that point. So that's going to be interesting if the Blazers' hand gets forced that way. Okay, Scoot, you know, we really do think he's a revolutionary player. Uh, we got to take him, but we can't 
we can't continue on with them. Eh, you know, I, I, maybe I'm overstating it. I think they can do anything for a year. But dang, if you know at the end of the year that you're going to trade Dame anyway, you probably should trade Dame while he still has max value and as young as possible so that you can get the best return. 100%. 100%. You know, he's coming off a 13-mile NBA. And based off what he said in the interview, he still thinks that he has a lot more years left in his prime. And I think Portland can maybe, you know, leverage the fact that he doesn't have a, a lengthy injury history. You know, as he said, he's, he's a guy that I think he can still be a 30-point scorer over the next two or three years, you know, the way he plays. So I think it's a situation where you, if you have Lillard, um, Scoot Henderson, and you have Sharp, you're going to end up hindering you know, two of those guys' growth and their confidence. And I don't think you need that at this point in time. So it's better to just kind of go ahead and, and make that move now and, and live with the results with it. I think you, you have a lot of – it'd be a lot of fun, even if it didn't translate the wins with, with that looping there with Henderson and Sharp. And, and maybe you trade Simons too and get bigger there too. But as you said, I don't, I don't, I don't think – Sharp at the three point at the uh, three position is is the best thing to do at this point either. He's got to build strength, got to build strength and, and get better there too. So it's just a lot of different negatives that come with with having you know Miller, Henderson, and 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 all those guys all together like that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. It's like uh, trading Anthony Simons on the table then. And do you look at a, a lesser trade for some of these teams that wanted Lillard? And you're not asking for future unprotected draft picks back, but. Like a Nick Claxton, would you be interested in someone like him or, or whatever, uh, you know, to, to bolster that front court? And you just figure, okay, we're going to have a hyper athletic backcourt of uh, Henderson and Sharp, and we're going to build up the front court around them. And obviously, we're not winning this year, but we're going to get another lottery pick next year. And, you know, two, three years down the road, we're going to be pretty good. Now, Again, you got San Antonio's already started their arc. You've got, you know, Denver is not going anywhere. So there's there's a long road to climb to get to the top. But at least you'd be climbing at that point instead of wandering around on a plateau wondering where to pitch your tent. Yeah, I, I think personally that that's the best way to, to kind of build a, a starting lineup. You know, you look at Lillard and McCollum when they were at their best and Portland was at their best. It was when they had a three and a four that could switch on the pick and roll and kind of uh, cover up some of their, their defensive lapses. You had a, a, a run protecting five and then just having defense that can kind of cover up their mistakes. And I think if you're building, if Portland's building a, a team around, you know, Shaden Sharp, School Henderson, I think you want to build it that same way where you got a three and a four that are, are big and, and, and can be flexible and versatile on the defensive end and five as well that can be athletic too. So in a perfect world, I think that's the way you would do it. And I think that, that, that's the way I would do it if I were Portland. You know, you trade, you trade Lillard and Simons, you go get some some guys that can kind of you know work the interior, some bigger guys, some size that make sure your future a lot easier. But that's just my perspective on it. I think that there's a lot of ways you can go about it. But that's how I would do it. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, wouldn't there be less defensive burden if Henderson and Claxton, or starts not Claxton, uh, Sharp, Henderson and Sharp develop like. They should, in theory, be better defenders than Lillard and McCollum were, right? Yeah, I think so, just because of the athleticism um, and the things you can do when you when you are athletic. I think it'd definitely be big. Um, and I think if, if Portland kind of fits the bill right and they get those right guys around them, I think the issue with Lillard and McCollum was that there was so much pressure on them offensively you know, that they didn't have the energy to do everything they wanted to do on defense. Because I look back on some of those, those high-profile matchups with, with Westbrook and guys like that, they stepped up to those. They play really well in those, but, you know, it's just bringing it every single night and having that energy where it's, it's tough. Um, and I think there'd be some growing pains with, with them being so young. And, you know, we saw that with Sharp last year. There were times where at, there were times of last year where Sharp was, wasn't good at all on defense, you know, to put it, to put it most frankly. So um, you got to be ready for those, but if you can compare them with, you know, guys that can kind of fit their athleticism and, and their, their size, I think it, it, it'd be big for them. Yeah. I mean, and the, the, nice thing about that is that if you forecast a generational backcourt with Henderson and Sharp, then you have Lillard, Simons, Nurkic, and maybe Grant to play with in future trades. Because either by age or position, that they don't necessarily fit long-term the bill. There's nothing wrong with keeping them. But that's actually a lot of talent over the next two years 
that you can forecast exchanging into, you know, other other players who can really help you and bolster that front court. Like I said, I mean, I, I slipped and mentioned Claxton again, but I think he would be a real good get, right? Because, I mean, he's 23, 24 years old, and he's a shot blocker, a pretty good defender, really efficient in the front court offense without having to take shots. So, I mean, there would be a good piece. There, there are others, right? And it's like, okay, well, that, that route seems to open possibilities, yeah? If you tell me, I'm going to have a fantastic lottery-picked, uh, hyper-athletic, perhaps generational, and people have mentioned Kobe in, in regards to Sharp, and then obviously Henderson is hyped. If you tell me that's going to be my backcourt, and uh, I've got four veterans to trade, I I can live with that. I think. Yeah, I I, I like what you said about Claxton too about him being a guy that that doesn't necessarily need take a lot of shots. I think if you're going to have Sharp and Henderson and guys like that that have that that trigger happy kind of offensive play style, you want to have the right kind of guys around them too. And I think we're on the same page. You know, we want to kind of see the Blazers make a pivot into something. You know, you don't want to keep going young and old or, or you want to see them build an entire roster with just old veterans and trying to chase the championship. I think it'd be kind of be a breath of fresh air to see them kind of go completely youthful. Um, and I, I think back to that 2006 draft when they brought in Brandon Roy and Aldridge in the same year. And, and fans, I think, kind of understood, you know, you're not going to win right away. But in a couple of years, you know, you've got something special there when they're 24 or 25 and they're, they're getting their first playoff runs and things like that. I think it'd be fun to see. Uh, but as long as Portland makes a, a, a clear cut decision, you know, I don't think there'll be too much. Too much anger, too much angst, and either way it goes. But I think the the more beneficial one at this point might be to to go ahead and go youthful. Yep. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, we are going to be. Let's see. One week from the draft. Next time we talk, we may have to podcast a little early next week. I'll talk to you about that off air. But uh, the limbo is almost over. We are two weeks away. Next week, we'll be talking about draft prospects, uh, probably whether the Blazers use or trade that 23rd pick. And, uh, of course, you know, who's going to be available at the top. Uh, until then, uh, this is Sneezy Dave Deckard uh, for Marlo Ferguson, and we will see you again soon.